Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? Welcome to the Wolves Watch Podcast. I am Dan Radke and I'm joined as I always am by Ricky Jim Bruno. Rick, how are you today? Doing good. It's the first week of the NFL season. First first Sunday games just kicked off. So naturally here we are talking about the Southeast Division <laughs> of the NBA. <laughs> About five weeks away from the NBA season officially tipping off. Uh, regular season starts on the 18th, so we are inching closer. Uh, but you're right, we're recording this on Sunday, so it is a an NFL Sunday, first one in a while. Um, but like you mentioned, Rick, this is, this is a podcast that we've done every year that we've had uh, the Tough Watch. We've done this series of podcasts where we've done the over-unders, and traditionally we've split the over-unders by conference. And this this season, what we wanted to do is break it into divisions for a couple of different reasons. Number one, it gave us a little bit of additional time to cover the teams in each of these divisions at a more granular level. So we get to talk about five teams a podcast as opposed to trying to get to 15, um, which would be great for us. And also, it'll give us kind of a, a it's a good exercise. I was going through and doing my over-unders uh, this past week, and it was kind of like a good exercise to go through to determine like, what divisions you think are strongest. And then as you went through the conferences, which conference you think was strongest. So I think this is a good way to do this um, for us to be able to kind of get a a good feel for where we stand on the league in general. For sure. And shout out to Colin. I mean, Colin is also making this possible for us because it has eliminated any time required to edit and publish these podcasts. And so it's giving us the ability to, instead of having to do it in one shot, to um because of just our schedules and availability it's allowing us to to record more smaller podcasts absolutely no this is this is part of the reason we moved to Colin. so essentially for any listeners what we're going to do is we're starting today in the eastern conference we're starting with the southeast division uh we'll be talking about those five teams today we're going to kind of break down each team individually and then get to the win totals at the end of the episode um but Rick, I wanted to start with you. Is there anything that you wanted to discuss before we just dive right into those five teams? Well, I, I think it's. I think we should talk a little bit about how the, each of us approach the the over unders and and how we come to the numbers. So, how yeah. how did you approach that this year? Did that change at all from many previous years? No, I do it the same way every year. Um, that exercise is the most telling. So, what I do is I take the league. And then I put the the projected Vegas over-under line next to each team. And then I go through and I just do a rough draft over-under and a win total for every team. And you can really tell how strong you feel the league is by how over the total league wins you are on that first go-around. I was over by, I think, 36 wins <laughs> the first time I went through. So what that means for any listeners is I had a ton of overs. I was high on way too many teams. I inflated the win totals of way too many teams. So that tells you how, I mean, how difficult this exercise was this particular season. I'm very high on the league in general. Yeah, I, I the league is strong. And then the flip side of that is there are 
probably seven teams. Not probably. There are seven teams that are tanking, yeah. at least entering the season tanking. And then that's to say nothing of, of course, there will be a team that either underperforms or uh, suffers an injury to some key players, and then they become tankers. You think about last season, Portland was, you know, Portland probably had misguided mind you but probably had title aspirations at the beginning of the year um and by the trade deadline they were tanking harder than any team in the league and so it it's a it's a league of have and have nots but yes the way that I did it then is I then saying the seven seven tanks is kind of a tell here is I look I tr- I kind of categorized the teams by what their goals were for the season and kind okay. of how they how they saw themselves and I it it came that there were seven teams that were tanking. There was, you know, about and again these are these are not like strong distinctions, but just kind of rough distinctions. There was about seven teams tanking, about ten teams kind of that were in the playoff play in kind of could just go wherever the season goes. Uh, range and that those would encompass the teams like I was saying Portland last year where hey if we're having a good season we can go all in at some point if we're not we can shift to a tank so 10 teams kind of in the middle but then more importantly and this speaks to what you said about the strength of the league there's by my count and there might even be a little more than this 13 teams that are all in on this season and so that makes for a very interesting uh win total discussion because you know these over-unders you know of course they're set in a range to be enticing to make people want to bet but they're also lower than how the win totals will actually come in they're bunched toward the middle so you know there's not going to be 15 teams that win you know, between 40 and 45 games or however it's set, you know, some team is going to win over 60 games or in the high fifties, some team is going to win 20 games or maybe in in the teens. And so um, it's, it's really bunched up. And when you, when you say there's 13 teams all in and seven teams tanking, that probably implies just that, that there will be several teams to blow past their win totals and several teams that, um, that are well below their win total. Yeah, well, and Rick, this this is a question I wanted to ask you before we even get into the divisions themselves, is there was a bunch of teams, so you mentioned that second group of teams, um, so not title contenders, not tanking, but could kind of go either way. Yeah. The interesting thing about that group of teams is when you look at them, because historically what you'd say is, well, they're fringy teams going into the season, so let's say things kind of go off the rails for them due to injury or otherwise their motivation may change midseason and they decide to just throw games late. But the teams in that second group are so much stronger than traditionally those French oh, yeah. teams have been that I don't know if organizations are really going to give them the green light to tank regardless. So there's like a bunch of teams that I think weirdly, even if they're kind of out of it, will still be competing at a much higher level than traditionally we would see. You know, like take, for example, a team, and we'll get to them shortly, like a team in this division, the, the Wizards. The Wizards, like, could not be very good. Like, it's possible. Yep. But, like, with Bradley Beal and Porzingis and a bunch of vets, like, I don't think anybody is going to allow them to, like, sit a large majority of their roster in service of some kind of tank late in the year, regardless. No, it just might be thrust on them. That's the thing. Is That's the strength of the league, is it might just be the, the 
they just barrier, might not be talented. The barrier enough. of entry is so high, and mm-hmm. it will, basically there's several teams within this division that encompass that. And obviously Washington is one, but with Washington, you know that's the example you chose. I mean Washington's team is better this season; they were last season, and yes, it's hard. Are. It's very difficult to predict them to be higher than in the playing range. I would say impossible, reckless even. So, but what I would encourage people to do. And you got to take this with a grain of salt because at some point during this, they changed the way that they did the ratings. But I would encourage everybody to go to Hoops Hype and they have cataloged the NBA 2K player ratings. And just look at the difference between the player ratings this season versus 10 years ago. It's, it's honestly unbelievable. Um, I think it... I mean, you can't really overstate how dramatic of a change it is where uh, there are the quality and where the quality really rests. It's it's all it's all over the board. It's like the the level of and quantity of franchise players never been higher. The level of quality of like role players and rank and file players never been higher. And so the result of that, and I think, Dan, this is a good way to transition into the first team alphabetically in the division, the Atlanta Hawks, the result of that is you have teams like the Hawks where you look at their starting five, which is Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella, and the worst player currently in that starting lineup is a very intriguing long-term prospect and the best player is a franchise player and everybody else kind of slots in between. Mm-hmm. And this is not a team we're talking about as like a shoe in for home court advantage in the playoffs. Yeah. Let's, I, that was a great lead into Atlanta, which is the first team we're going to talk about. We'll do it in alphabetical order here. So Atlanta, Atlanta is an interesting team. Um, I would ask you this just to lead the conversation. Traditionally, when teams make big, splashy offseason moves, the first thing that I do is I look at the win total from the previous season, and I try and gauge how many wins I think the player they acquired is worth. And it's not a perfect exercise because there's usually a lot of moving parts around that one transaction. In this case, a lot of the core came back. You mentioned the starting lineup. Everybody, everybody besides DeJounte was there in Atlanta last year, and they were able to retain most of their, their core as part of that DeJounte trade. So do you feel that Atlanta just adding DeJounte and given the current roster construction is set up to, you know, make some kind of like big wins leap, or do you see that this staves off like further deterioration that we started seeing a little bit last year? Well, I, that's interesting. I mean, I think yes, but I think that's because they, they're starting at a pretty low point winning 43 games last season, which is, well below their talent level. Yes. And it's it's less DeJounte, Dan, and more that when you look at that starting lineup and you consider the age of those players for this season, it's a very young team still. And I and I feel like when you have a guy like Trey that ex, like so greatly exceeds expectations early in uh, their career, you kind of take for granted that they're so young and there's still room for a lot of improvement. And I, I would, you know, this is a different division, different player, but you think about 
the difference between Jason Tatum, say, last season and how he was a couple seasons before where he was still an all-star level player, but he wasn't quite yet ready to, to be that franchise guy that could lead a team to the finals. And this is all a long way to say that I think, obviously, DeJounte will is a positive addition for this season. He has to be. I mean, the, the entire trade was based on we're trading future for present. But when you look at the rest of their starting lineup, this will be Trey Young's age 24 season. Clint Capella, the, the old guy in the starting lineup, is going to be 28. Collins is 25. Hunter is going to be 25. And then DeJounte Murray is going to be 26. So you have a bunch of dudes in their pre-prime, early prime, prime. So, I I mean, I really, to me, it, it's a bit, it's very similar to the Timberwolves with acquiring Rudy Gobert which is I feel like it's been talked about like their current team that they've added this star player to is kind of fixed. Their production is fixed, and it's just we're just adding this guy. But the reality of the situation is the guys that they already had on their team have such a runway to get better. And specifically, when you get to this point of your career, their stats might not be better, but the ability to impact winning is the thing that comes with age. And so it's, it's, yes, it is DeJounte coming onto the team, but it's also you have all these guys on their team that should be better and better at contributing to winning. And so I, barring to me, this, they're a pretty good bet for the over, just to spoil it. But like the reason for that is they'd really, in my opinion, need to have a pretty catastrophic chemistry problem or injury problem to just stave off the amount of internal development that they'll probably get from these guys aging. No, I agree a hundred percent. I actually, when I asked you that question, it was really just to be a devil's advocate to my own belief in this team, which is I think 43 wins given their talent was a complete joke. Now, what I don't, what I don't know is if it's an aberration or if there's something deeper going on in Atlanta. Uh, I hope and I'm betting that there isn't something deeper And last year was very fluky um, because they just have, I mean, they should have been last year, given the talent on that team, they should have been a team that pressed, you know, for high forties, maybe even 50 wins last year. No question about it. Now, the interesting thing you said, there's the internal development because of how young the roster is. There's the addition of DeJounte, which I think was, was very, I hate to even say underrated because it did get talked about a lot when it first happened, but it was a great addition in the way that it really helps offset Trey's deficiencies defensively and also creates another playmaker. So Trey Young doesn't literally have to do everything for this team with the ball in his hands. So I think for a multitude of reasons, it was a really good addition. And the thing that I question at this point um, is Nate McMillan. So he came in sure. and he was a breath of fresh air in that first season uh, that he started coaching games for Atlanta. Then you come to next year. And you have a 43-win team. And could it just be that Nate McMillan is a steadying presence, but then as soon as that message uh, ages a little bit, he doesn't really have whatever that next gear is that coaches have to get their team you know, performing at an even higher level? We'll see this season. Um, if anything, with this Atlanta team, like it'll probably be a coaching change, but I'm, I'm getting way out in front of myself. I believe in this Atlanta team and I think they're going to have a great year. Yeah. I think everything last year just kind of conspired for them to have a bad season, which is they're a young team that outperformed. 
their expectations. So they probably got a little ahead of their skis just in terms of the way that they viewed themselves. They had that roster crunch where they had way too many guys that um, were either already established in their career and so felt like they deserved a, a level, like a role that was just not going to be there for them or their young players that are trying to establish their careers. And so, and, and a lot of that has been solved this year. They, they have made some con- consolidation moves uh, last season and then through the off season. Um, and then just normal kind of regression to the mean, you know, like they out, like we said, like I said, they out way outperformed their expectations the year before. And so I think it, if you want to look at it with the glass half full, it's that that was a very humbling experience for them. Yep, they, it should be. It should be for sure. Um, hopefully, they've exercised whatever type of internal uh, dysfunction there's been with John Collins. You know, at this point, where it's like they gave him the contract last year, they tried like hell reportedly to deal him there's no deal there they're both stuck with each other for better or worse it should be for better he's a good player um and so theoretically that should be there should be some level of peace there where that was kind of in flux last year and you know to me the biggest question is what it i really do think the biggest question is what what's that fit like with Trey and DeJounte cuz it's not supernatural of a fit it's it's been well discussed that Trey Young is one of the more ball dominant players in the league that's absolutely true but so was DeJounte Murray last season and DeJounte Murray not being um you know much of a jump shooter certainly not a catch and shoot player just kind of you're just trying to figure out exactly what his role is going to be so the biggest thing for me is there's a little bit of on-court redundancy between what him and Trey do but then there's a little on-court redundancy too with Capella and John Collins so that that's a little bit of it too which is they have a lot of talent on their team but because of what everybody's optimum role is they might be a little worse than the sum of their parts. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to me, you put it really well there about the offensive concerns. Um, it does shore up a big question for me on defense. Um, and I think what's going to be interesting to see is, does the defensive improvement uh, with a Kongwu being healthy going into the season with DeJounte getting added and DeAndre Hunter on the wing and Capella at the rim, like, is the defensive improvement great enough that even if the offense is clunky, it's a it's a larger increase defensively, which offsets a smaller defic- deficiency on offense. So basically what we lose on offense, we overcome and then some on defense. That'll be kind of what I'm looking for because I could see that. I could see the defensive improvement with everybody healthy and DeJounte added being pretty stark. I could see them being much, much stouter defensively, which would be huge for them because watching them play last year, there were a ton of times that I I felt they were just getting their asses kicked on defense. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they have enough to, to be at least average on mm-hmm. defense. And, and then offensively, of course, with Trey Young, I mean, that's when he's explosive. on the... When yeah. he's on the court, you're basically guaranteed to be at a top five level. And so, you know, barring injury, you're probably looking at a top 10 offense there. And so 
yeah, if they could just get to average defensively. And this is the thing that it's worth remembering is it's it's possible. Like last year we would we you know, we were pretty we were more bullish, obviously being homers with the Wolves, and we couldn't have even realistically said, oh, the Wolves will be a above average defense. And so a lot of it just comes down to scheme uh scheme ingenuity and then buy in from the players and 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 some level of effort. So I, I just think it's possible that they're rowing in the right direction. I think if you were a fan of the team, you'd have to be really excited, especially considering where the franchise has been. You have you have a blue chip franchise player, a really good sidekick in or multiple really good sidekicks, frankly, in their prime, and then you have a guy in DeAndre Hunter that when healthy has been really good and you have a lot of interesting prospects too on the back burner of the team with Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin kind of headlining that and so it's it's a it's a very I think they've been flying under the radar no pun intended and I think that you know they are really set up to have a really good season the difficult thing and we'll get to this at the end of the pod when we talk about the win totals is it, the league is so damn good. You're just like, well, where does that leave you? So that is actually the perfect introduction to the next team on the list alphabetically in the Southeast, which is the Charlotte Hornets. So we just got done talking about Atlanta. Charlotte is a team that you mention. where does that leave you when you go down some of these rosters? Because you're going to see a lot of NBA bodies, like a lot of guys that have been in the league that are veterans that are pretty decent players. But you take... You take the sum of all those parts and you go, well, but, but what does that do? In a league this good, what does that actually do? To me, Charlotte was a team um, that fits that to a T. So LaMelo Ball, obviously, um, is a guy who is going into his third season that you and I believe uh, has every opportunity to be an all-star, maybe even this upcoming season, but certainly at some point in his young career. Yeah, well, Dan, let me butt in right there. He was all-star last year. I mean, probably oh, yeah. a low-level. Yeah, yeah, right. Not really a deserving all-star, frankly, but... But was yes. he an injury replacement? That I don't know, but he was I a back-end like all-star for okay. sure. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, a great young player. Yeah, Rated so, very highly in our uh, in our pod last week. Yes, and then you have basically the same cast of characters coming back, more or less. You have Terry yes. Rozier and Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, ah, Mason Plumley, Kelly Oubre. So just a ton of guys and, and not a lot of big additions for this team. Um they they drafted Mark Williams notably. Yeah, but Dan, they had, it's funny. They signed no free agents off of other teams from last season. Correct. So it it really is just internal development that's going to lead to this team getting better if you believe that they will. But they matched the exact same win total last year as the Hawks, who we just got done talking about. They were forty three and thirty nine last year, and they're actually like the perfect two teams to talk about back to back. I think Atlanta underperformed pretty dramatically. And I think Charlotte, honest to God, overperformed. Yeah, that's um, hilarious too because it's like which team, which team fired their coach and decided to go in the yeah, direction. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, my my thing with Charlotte going into the season is, and and I think they're going to be a fun team, no question. They were a fun team last year. It's just I would see regression with this Charlotte team. I think they overperformed last season, and the league is so good. When you look at this roster, I just go, yeah, a lot of good players. I don't see much great anywhere on this roster. Yeah, well, there's the Miles Bridges of it all is the real, that's the the real wrench in this whole thing. We don't need to get into it, but the the likelihood here 
overwhelming likelihood is he's not playing this season. He's currently That's not correct. signed by them. And he was their second best player last season. And so my big question about them is I feel like there's there's a bit of a cloud over the team from how the coaching search went down. For listeners unaware, Kenny Atkinson accepted the job verbally um, and then uh, decided to back out of it, which very rarely happens. They brought back Steve Clifford, uh, who was previously the coach of the team that had some level of success, but you know, not exactly an inspiring hiring. And no. then, of course, the Miles Bridges legal trouble. And so you you wonder how much you know that's that's where it's like it's very hard when you're not following a team very closely or in the region to know how much that stuff matters because and I'll say this Dan if you remember at the beginning of last season with the Timberwolves the national narrative about the team was that because of the, what had just happened with Gerson Rosas they had it very similar to uh Charlotte actually they made no free agent additions the narrative was like, wow, this is a team that is like teetering on collapse. But we knew because we were there and following the team closely that everybody's really excited for this season and they have a. That's where it gets really interesting with Charlotte, where I. I, I don't know how much of it is just us projecting onto them because of what we're seeing on the outside and how much is that you know this is not a very inspired group heading into the season yeah um i'm glad you brought up the miles bridges thing the miles bridges uh legal issues the fact that he won't be on the court for them this season is is it's awful from a basketball perspective it's awful um it's awful in other ways but we won't talk about it um and honestly even with miles bridges on this team last year and he was he was great uh I, I always watched them believing that they were playing with fire. Like in these games where they were they were pulling out and sneaking some road wins, I always was watching that game going, man, you guys really, if this is the level of defensive attention you're going to pay, like you're going to, eventually that comes home to roost. Like you just can't continue to play that style of basketball and not believe at some point you're going to regress to the mean. Yeah, but, I think they basically maxed out about how good you could be when you're that bad on defense. Like I, I exactly. just think, I yep. hope that, we've moved past this as a basketball community, understanding that the idea of like, we're going to be an amazing offense and, you know, if we could just get to average, that's, that's not a thing. And <laughs> that they were, they were very good on offense. They were very bad on defense and that's going to make you be around 500. That's exactly right. And so that's kind of what I was getting at with this team. I think, you know, honestly, the, the most intriguing part about Charlotte going into this season, you mentioned Steve Clifford, like he's just a steady guy um, who knows whether or not he's going to be long for the franchise or not, but it is a steady presence. I've, the The thing that happened with Atkinson was, was a real like gut punch for that organization because the difference between hire, hiring Kenny Atkinson off the Golden State bench and rehiring Steve Clifford is a dramatic difference uh, in perception for your organization. Um but no, the, the LaMelo thing is going to be fascinating. And I'm also very curious to see, uh, you know, PJ Washington's development um, without Miles Bridges on the team. I'm curious what his development's going to look True. like. Um, yeah, so, so you probably what, like pencil him into that starting four spot now? Definitely. Definitely. 
So Which, let's, let's game this out. So it's LaMelo and Terry Rozier in the backcourt. Yep. If Gordon Hayward's healthy, it's Gordon Hayward. If not, it's probably Kelly Oubre. Yep. P.J. Washington. And then uh, Mason Plumlee to start the season, you'd have to imagine. And then they're probably hoping at some point. I mean, they've drafted a million centers in the last several years. But obviously, that you would hope it could be Mark, Mark Williams. He's also a rookie, so, you know, I wouldn't necessarily – would, I'm not expecting that at all, but um, they have Mark Williams still uh, that they drafted this year. Who are some of the center? I'm trying to pull Kai this up. Kai Jones. They Nick still Richards. have Kai Jones that they traded. That, yeah. JT Thor can play a little bit, Nick Richards. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to start with Mason Plumley, and then you would think the front office is hoping that – I mean, they've spent so much – of their draft capital drafting centers that one of those guys would take the spot. And, you yeah. know, that's, that's, that's a perfect encapsulation of where we are in basketball because, and how strong the league is, because by no means do you look at that and go like, that's not a, that's a bad group of basketball players, but you also can't really look at that and be like beyond a meteoric rise from LaMelo, which is of course possible it's hard to imagine that team out of the playing range. No, no way. No way. And you know, I mean, for anybody who's listened to our podcast and I know you are also a big supporter. Um, I was a huge James Borrego fan. Oh, I yeah. just really, I really liked what he was doing in Charlotte. So, I mean, naturally the substitution where you fire a coach, like a longstanding coach that's been around with this group for a while. And then you bring in Steve Clifford, regardless of what's happening with the roster, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take a couple wins away probably. But, uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Playing at best with that roster. I'm a, yeah, and we're both big believers in continuity. and Huge, yes. And it's just, especially when you have a young team and you have a young franchise player like LaMelo Ball, like, I just don't be cute with it. You know, if you have something that's working internally, unless there's, and it's more honestly about the process than it is about the results, and the results were pretty damn good frankly for having a your best player be a 20 year old kid um well that's what made the firing so it was I mean, it was it was baffling to me i well, couldn't believe it and that and that goes to show you that it's just not a very serious organization and you also know that because reportedly one of the reasons that was given for Kenny Atkinson backing out of the job was that he was going to be required to uh, retain some some coaches off of uh, James Borrego's bench. The subtext there being that the team did not want to, you know, double pay for assistant coaches by having to pay their salaries and then hire new ones. And so I think the subtext there is like Kenny Atkinson saw that this is not a serious organization and this is not going to be how I you know, get my head coaching career back on track. And that's, to me, that's more damning about the franchise than really anything else that's happened this off season. Yeah, man. I, I mean, we can move off them now. We'll, we'll circle back when we do the over-unders. Um, the next team in this division is the Heat. Uh, they are, from a win total perspective, they are projected to be the winner of this division, which, I mean, given the, the group of teams, that makes sense. Um, Miami, to me, and, and I'll be curious where you're at, because, I mean, both you and I have been pretty Miami-obsessed for years just because yep. we, we believe so strongly in what they do. Hey, Benny. Um, 
But the thing about this team, and I was trying to kind of battle myself here because I always basically pencil the Heat into being, you know, better than the sum of their parts. And so when I was looking at this, I was like, you know, the Kyle Lowry thing last year was bad. Um, and obviously he was really old. Uh, Jimmy's another year older. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, they lost PJ Tucker, which is not nothing, um, given the role he played last year for them. But I still kind of came through this looking at it and going, well, with, with heat culture and Spolstra, like this is enough, especially with Jimmy and Kyle there, like that, this is enough. They'll, they'll be as, as good as probably they were last year. Yeah. I think the, the, the real question for them, and this is not relevant to an over or under exercise is what their playoff ceiling is. Because I think if, if there's one thing we know for sure, it's that the Miami heat, win games during and the organization squeezes everything they can get out of their team every season and this is not a team that has and this is what I love about their organization is this is not a team that has one foot in and one foot out they are 10 toes down every season every year and the thing about that and I think this gets misconstrued sometimes is I think sometimes people will criticize that as being too present focused and not future focused. Sure. This is a really stupid thing to say, but it's, it's just true is well, if you're always present focused, you're, you're are also future focused because at no time are you not, you know, giving max effort. And that's the thing that I respect about the organization is when you're there and you're a player, you're a coach, you're, you work for the team in some capacity, you know that the focus is on today, right now. And so you can be damn sure that every day, everybody is rowing in the same direction. There's no question about what the motive of the team is. It's like the motive is always work hard and be the best team we can possibly be. And I got a chance to sit behind their bench at a Timberwolves game last season. And you can just see it in the way that they conduct themselves through pregame and throughout a game. I mean, this is a team full of veteran players that were incredibly invested in a weeknight game against a team that at that time was, they were vastly superior to. And that's how, that's, that's a good measure of a professional operation is they just, they knew what they were doing, knew what they were there to do. And, um, that this all a long-winded way of saying that I don't really care about what their additions or subtractions are. I just this is a t- they're going to win a bunch of games in the regular season. They were the number one seed last season, albeit you know it was it was more crunched to the middle last year. They did not. I mean they were in the mid to low fifties, so not normally what a number one seed is. However, they were the number one seed and they had a lot of injuries to their team last season. Yep. Yep. And it, see, this is what's funny, Rick, about what you just said at the end there is they will struggle with injuries um, because they have some veterans on this team that are are not going to be able to play 82 games uh, without getting dinged up or needing a little bit of a break. Uh, luckily for Miami, they just cycle through guys, and we've talked about this for years and years. They just cycle through guys every year and find guys to fill meaningful roles and find ways to win basketball games. That's just what they do. Um Biggest thing I'm looking forward to this season is Bam. Um, Bam is one of those guys that every year that a season starts, 
I root hard for him to make a big, big leap. I want to see a different version of Bam. I want to see a more offensively assertive Bam. I want to see a guy who's worked on that side of the, side of his game. Um, because I believe at some point in his career, Bam has the ability to be one of the most devastating two-way players in the league. And again, that's the whole reason why when you pair him and what I believe of him with a bevy of role guys and key vets at key spots, they're just going to, like you said, win a lot of regular season games. No question. So what does that what does that look like to you, Bam expanding his offensive game? Because that's an interesting question. I mean, he really is right now on offense. I wouldn't say he's a jack of all trades, but because he is definitely a master of some. Yeah. But he is he's kind of from what he's capable of doing, you could see it going a lot of ways because he's he's not a not really a guy you dump the ball off to in the post we know about what his elbow game is and that's a big part of what Miami always does so it's like that's a strength um he's not a catch and shoot guy a spacer but he's also has a soft enough touch that you could see that potentially happening and that's the same thing with him in the post it's like he's a very strong guy he's very fucking strong like you could definitely imagine him beasting guys so it's like it's just a question of where what does that look like exactly well, it here's what I've always envisioned with with Bam, and it's probably un, uh, not probably it's very unpopular given the way basketball is played now. But you and I grew up with a player that would play, um, kind of from, I mean, it was it was all mid range stuff. Yeah. But like he reminds me a lot. I want his face up game to look a lot like Kevin Garnett. And yeah. I want it, Actually, that's and a I, great comparison. He's pretty similar to Kevin Garnett. Obviously, he's not as good as Kevin Garnett, but very yeah. similar player. And I want that for him, you know, not only to be a threat with that shot, but also to to allow him to free up a dribble drive game more consistently in, in space. Because when he plays from the elbows, like a lot of times it's a congested lane that he's driving through and he's gotten, right. good, at, he's gotten good at it. But I just think there's a way to expand his game out. Um, so you want him to just literally be pushed further, further from the basket, but playing in a similar type of role? Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so he's got to be a bigger threat shooting the ball from distance. Yes, and it, and I think it's important for them to do that because eventually, you know, the way I see it for Miami, and you mentioned that they're just they're always in win now mode and focused on the, the season that they're in. Jimmy, I mean, Kyle Lowry was obviously a temporary addition, but like Jimmy Butler is getting older, and so it's like at some point, like they will probably make some kind of splashy all-star move, um, you know, two, three years from now when they need to replace those guys they have now. But I just think they could get a lot closer to to making sure Bam is, like, clearly the number two on whatever team that is. It's just going to take, you know, another couple of years of development. Yeah, I think that's very astute, and I think that that is their best path to having an offense that works better in the playoffs um, because you do look at the rest of their guys – you know, of course, Kyle Lowry. Well, at this point, Kyle Lowry is definitely more of a perimeter guy. <laughs> I yeah. mean, when you're when you get up in age, like to that degree, you're really not going to see him up there in the trees too much. But Jimmy Jimmy Butler's uh, interior focus player, obviously mid range focus player, um, and so yeah, you definitely want to create more space for those guys to operate. And the same thing for. A, you know, Tyler Hero, either starting or coming off of the bench. You want to give him more space to operate. So I think that's astute. Uh, the question, Dan, is who's going to be the 2K create a player 
that is going <laughs> to start at the four? Or how are they going to actually build this lineup, do you think? Because I think with health, I think you Sharpie in uh, Bam, Jimmy, and Kyle Lowry. Yep. And then the question becomes, who who takes those other two spots? So it's probably Max Strews for one of them uh, in the backcourt. Now, the frontcourt, what's really interesting about the can front I, court, Can I just stop you off really quick? Yeah, of there. course. Do you think they can get away with not starting Tyler Hero again? Just from what their relationship with him is and just trying to maximize what what he's going to be this season? Well, so he, I think you're bringing up an interesting point. I think if they do not start him, there is an understanding that he is still very much available and they're just waiting to try and find the right opportunity to part ways because I think Miami sticks by their guns. Traditionally, truly Tyler hero is best coming off the bench for this particular team. He just is. That's why he's able to go for 20. So effectively against second units, you know what I mean? And he plays starter level minutes. So it's not against only second units, but I think for this organization, they see him and they go, no man, that's like, I mean, for both you and the team, that's the best role. And if that's not enough, if we're just at a you know a point of friction where you want more and we can't offer it, then we're just going to find somewhere else to. Put yeah, you. I mean, so he if he wants, starts, I mean, obviously that's who they were trying to use as the big piece to, and it, no one, they teams weren't interested in a Kevin Durant right. trade or a Donovan Mitchell trade for him. Um, but yeah, obviously, and I, I don't think this is unwarranted. I if I was if I was him or if I was close to him, I would feel the same way which is that no question he feels like he should be a star and he should be in line to make a shitload of money um a max contract frankly and so which he obviously he hasn't acquired he hasn't gotten one yet he won't get one here in the extension period so yeah i mean that's that that is some potential that has some combustibility to me in terms of their chemistry because He's the he's really the one guy that is probably wanting for a role that the team doesn't want him to have, and that's and that he might be the only guy on the team. But actually, we got sidetracked there. Who's the four man? So honestly, I think they probably would go with Caleb Martin. Yeah, um, but it's probably I mean, him or Hayward Highsmith. Hey, Wood Heisman. <laughs> Haywood Hollywood. I would prefer Hayward. Um, no, what is it? It is Haywood. It okay. is Haywood, but he'll yeah, go he's laying the wood. Yeah. Well, I mean, excuse me, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Wheeling, uh, Wheeling University <laughs> games. <laughs> oh God, he's Miami all the way through. No, but I think it'd be Caleb Martin. And and to be honest, like this is the other thing about the the Tyler Hero situation. I think you stated it well. All know a lot based on whether or not he's starting. Because if he's starting, I think the team like has decided, all right, let's let's extend an olive branch. Let's make this work. Let's show him we're serious about making it work. If he plays the same role, I I mean there's just nothing there's nothing that would tell me he's gonna be there past this season. I would assume that they try and find some kind of a deal for him uh by the deadline. Yeah, I mean can't you just like reconfigure though the the minutes so that functionally it works the same way, but he's still the starter. You know what I mean? Like just have him sub out early and then he can still run second unit. I just don't understand why. I think there's more ego to it than that. I literally think it means like, are you a starter? Meaning were you in the start? No, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, man. It's like he could start 
and, and then, then just pull him. Have the D-low yeah. D rotation where it's like he comes out at the six-minute mark or whatever and then comes back in and runs the bench unit. Yeah, that's fair. So functionally it works the same way. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, let's get off Miami, though. Let's move on to – so we talked about a team that we believe will stack regular season wins like they always do. Now we move to a team that is going to struggle to find regular stack season Stack regular season losses. <laughs> yeah, they're going to stack the losses. Uh, that's the Orlando Magic. Um, still one of my favorite teams. I mean, I'm jacked to watch this team play. Oh, I mean, yeah. I am so excited to watch this team play. To, to, to bludgeon this dead horse again. I mean, it's just the, the talent level in the league is such that a team that we are going to project that is definitely in the tanking ranks here – is just loaded with recent high draft picks. Yes. I, you know, I was thinking about this with Jamal Mosley when I was uh, looking at them for the over under, and I was like, honestly, it's a job that I, you know, part of me says you wouldn't envy Jamal Mosley if you're somebody else in the league because you're coaching a Magic team. Another part of me goes, actually, this might be like the most fun coaching job that you could ever have because there's like legitimately 13 guys that probably you need to see if if you can find minutes for so you really get to i mean it is a choose your own adventure game with how you want to build out these rotations yeah and i'm hoping he does choose his own adventure here because this is what we've been critical of steven silas for this with houston which is yes you have all of these guys so like why are you why are you playing like lineup groups such heavy minutes together instead of kind of seeing more what you have especially since you're not winning anyway I mean yeah I definitely it's a glass empty glass full situation with Jamal Mosley because there is really no obvious answer here beyond like we got to give some arbitrary minutes to the guys we've just very recently drafted Um, because yeah it's very hard to much like Houston, it's very hard to look at your team and be like, why is Cole Anthony playing less than Fultz, who's playing more than RJ Hampton, who's playing less than Jalen Suggs? You know what I mean? It's just like, and this is where people get lost in the sauce here. It's like all of these guys believe they're really good players. And so it's not as simple as just being like, well, we all know, you know, well, just because Jalen Suggs is the fifth pick in the draft. And you go, yeah, but Cole Anthony is going, yeah, but I was way better than him last year. And RJ Hampton's going, well, what the fuck do I have to do to get a chance to show you guys I'm good? Yeah, it is it is one of the wildest team constructions I've seen in a long time because to give Orlando Magic some criticism and also some credit, they have built out a roster of a bunch of guys that are NBA rotation players. Like I'm, sure. co- I'm confident they have a ton of rotation players. I just have no idea what the upside of any of them really is. Yeah, um, I want to break this down really quick, Dan. So yeah, they have ahead. two number one overall picks from the last five years. Mm-hmm. This year's number one pick, and then Markel Fultz. Yep. They have Wendell Carter, who is the seventh pick in the 18 draft. They have Mo Bamba, who is the sixth pick in the 18 draft. They have Jonathan Isaac, who may or may not ever play again, who is the sixth pick in the 2017 draft. They have Jalen Suggs, who is the fifth pick last season. And then they also have, who's maybe going to be their best player this year, Franz Wagner, who was the eighth pick last year. And so that is, I'm going to have to actually count that again. <laughs> one, two, 
Because Chumo Kiki was like an 18th overall That's what? Pick. That's seven top 10 picks? That's seven top 10 picks. And we're also yep. not giving any shine to the guys that were very much in the first round. They just didn't, they weren't in the lottery or the top 10. Yeah. Hampton, Cole Anthony, Chumo Kiki. Correct. So it's, it is. And I mean, to be honest with you too, and again, let's just get back to like Orlando in general. Let's get to the basics. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get back to it. Um, I will say that I think there is. I like Jamal Mosley as a coach. Like I thought that late in the season last year, Orlando had no business winning a few, and it hurt their. I mean, it almost hurt their draft stock. They were able <laughs> to get the number one pick, thank God. But they won late in the season, which is not obviously what the goal is. But usually, what that means is the coach has figured something out and has lineup constructions that are good enough together that you kind of backdoor your way into wins. So hopefully, he was able to do. You know, last season was was a good year for him to kind of tier some of the guys on this roster so he yeah but dan here's here's the fly in that ointment though is jonathan isaac is maybe back markel fultz is maybe back so that's two kind of starter level guys if you're you know kind of bunching their players up and then paulo bancaro is the number one pick in the draft so that's like three starter guys that were not on your roster functionally last season so even, sure. if, even if they did find these configurations that work, well, I mean, they have to add minimum one guy <laughs> to, to the mix. You know what I mean? Yeah, but but let's uh, break that down even a little bit further. Like, I don't mean to be insensitive, but, like, are we sure, are we really sure that Jonathan Isaac plays basketball again? No, like, we're not. But, okay, okay so maybe Mark, like, all right, Markel Fultz. I mean, the Orlando people, like the Orlando media members, are putting him ahead of Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs as far as being like every single thing I've read or listened to from people close to the situation that cover the team are like, well, Markel Fultz is the starting point guard. <laughs> and you're just like, it, okay, it, and yeah, all right, be- cool. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, definitely. To be honest with you, the the brief period of time that he was with Orlando before the uh, the ACL injury, like he looked really good. Like he was really good for them before he got hurt. Um, I can't say I've I've really liked what I've seen from Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony. It's debatable. That one Bro, is debatable. Markel Fultz. It's the same thing as Jonathan Isaac. I'm looking at his his basketball reference. This is going to be his sixth season in the NBA. He's played one season. That like literally one season where he was like a member of, like, really a member of a team. Like, last year he played 18 games. The year before that, he played eight games. The year before that, and this is the season he actually participated in a real season, he played 72. But then the seasons before that, when he was with Philly, he played 19 games and 14 games. And then we know Jonathan Isaac's history, too. I, mean, I don't know if it's better or worse than that. It's If it's better, it's not by much. But we're talking about dudes that just have not played yeah Jonathan Isaac has missed the last two seasons with the same ACL injury (laughs) and then before that before that dude he played in 34 games and then 75 it's like Markel he played the one season and then he played 27 in his rookie season well and the other thing about those two again from from an injury perspective yes but we're we're kind of ignoring the obvious which is like Jonathan Isaac has been absent for a couple of reasons like the the biggest reason is obviously injury but like he has ventured out um to like a kind of a life a business life outside of basketball that he seems to like be very interested in 
uh, in marketing and, and giving his time and attention to, and I haven't heard a single thing coming out of Orlando about his basketball outside of there's no timetable for his return. So I just like, at least Markel Fultz, it was like all injury related. I'm not saying he's going to be stable and is going to play a lot of basketball going forward, but like the Jonathan Isaac thing, I feel like there's like a, a, a premature retirement coming like any day. Okay. Like just... so maybe the best way, because you know, it's less interesting to think about what, how this is going to coalesce this season in terms of wins and losses Maybe yeah. we should kind of try to rank for our own prosperity or uh, <laughs> our own prosperity. Some, are we going to, we going to, what's the word? I, I don't even know the, yeah. Posterity. Yeah. Yep. Hayward <laughs> Highsmith, baby. Um, for our own prosperity. There we go. Like Michael Scott in it. Um, let's, uh, Let's rank. Jesus let's rank Christ. these players in their groups. So it's like, who do you like in their? Let's let's game this out. Who do we like in their large group of of guards? Um, nobody. I'm not really hot on anybody, to be honest. I'm about the same on all of them for different reasons. So no. Okay. Who would you? What would be your first crack at? Because this is the thing. It's like. You you presumably, if you were, you know, had some type of influence there, the decision would be like, we should just see these guys in all sorts of combinations to figure out yeah. if we could get any type of backcourt of the future. What would be your first crack at it? If I could only choose one of them? Like, who just the first with? crack. It's just the first, it's the first preseason game, and you're like, uh, let's see this first. Um, at the guard position, I would take Cole Anthony. But are you looking for a five man? Like who do no, I want? No, just out the backcourt. Just that backcourt. Like who? What's your first backcourt combo you'd like to see? Uh, Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. Yeah. So the role with the, the the group that you know started for most of the season last year when they were healthy. Yeah, I just think those are the two best players. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I think they are fine enough to be to be the two that get the backcourt starting spots. Plus, I think they have the highest upside as a pair. Yeah, why do you think Cole Anthony is just, like, as disrespected as a player as he is? Uh, well, I can tell you because I, I probably am one of those people. Is and, and it's not anything against Cole Anthony. It's just, like, what he's good at, I don't value. I don't right. like small scoring point guards. Yep. I just don't. I, that's, it's one of my least favorite archetypes of a player. Yeah, I agree, and so it's very difficult. But that that is gets into this very human element we were talking about, like with the Miami Heat, which is, I mean, what do you, how how do you how do you deal with that element within the organization? Because they also drafted him knowing who he was, so no it's question. like you can't also just be like, <laughs> they're like, so why why am I playing less now than some of these other guys when I had a better season last year? And it's like, well, we don't like small scoring guards, Cole. <laughs> yeah, no. no, they made their bed and they have to lie in it, which is why he should start. <laughs> um, okay, well then what about in the front court? We have a lot of options here. Um, and, and frankly, a lot of positional versatility. This is where the strength of the team is. And this is where you can see something of the long-term vision for what they're trying to build here is unlike a lot of teams, there's a lot of, um, 
versatility here positionally where you could just choose three guys and you're not having to necessarily be like, well, this guy's exclusively a small forward. This guy's exclusively a center. So to, to reiterate who's in this group of guys that could be available to play for them in the front court, you have Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba. You also have Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, and um, Terrence Ross is also someone that's going to play. And we didn't mention Gary Harris in that backcourt. Like, if you're obviously actually trying to win games, you'd probably Or Terrence Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. But let me just state, um, in no uncertain terms, like, if I get my way in Orlando, and again, this is something we've talked about before, like, I don't have Cole Anthony or Jalen Suggs, and I go Bamba, Carter, Bancaro, Wagner... And give me anybody else, Chumo Kiki, maybe. Like, oh, so you're just playing monster ball. I agree. I mean, hundred percent. Because I don't think the guards are that good. I do think some of their front court stuff is quite good. Yeah, I think the the upside of this team long term is that Paolo is a seven foot point guard, and so that's my thought too. So yep. I would say you should you should lean into that immediately because he's going to struggle in that role, obviously, as a rookie, and and hope to grow his game. So for me, yes, the, and that makes those two guys that we said, Suggs and, um, and actually all of their guards, frankly, but like Suggs and uh, Cole Anthony specifically, you know, playing in kind of an inverted offense like that, like, how, you know, think about like Denver runs their <laughs> offense like that. Um, they... That not really the ideal guards for that situation. But actually, I think that's an interesting thing you bring up. I So to me, I guess Gary Harris and probably Terrence Ross would figure prominently because if you're going to be playing Paolo as like a ball handling big, you definitely want the, the two, like the, the characteristic you need more than anything offensively from the guards is, is the ability to space and, and be it- low usage players. I agree, and Gary Harris fits that like a glove. Like, he actually would be about perfect if you had Wagner, Bancaro, Wendell Carter, Bamba, and then, like, Gary Harris. So it's like Bancaro, Wagner, and Harris are, like, just splitting, not evenly, but, like, splitting ball handling duties for the most part. Yeah, so is... (laughs) So Bamba's over seven foot. Paolo, we never really got an official measurement, but he's at least... He's close enough. Wagner is also close enough. I guess Wendell Carter's like your guard <laughs> size player at what six, six nine, nine two sixty. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's it's a Frankenstein type experiment. But my, the, and again, this is where to just like put put to bed my own thoughts, and I'll let you go one last time before we move on to the final team. Is like with Orlando, I'm much higher on their front court than I am their back court. And you and I have discussed for probably 12 to 18 months now, the idea that the additions that Orlando has made has made it possible that they could play this monster ball style where everybody is switchable defensively and they just have these large ball handlers playing both sides of a pick and roll. Like, I actually think the backcourt's kind of done you a favor is like, they're just not that great. So they're not going to do what I'm at. Obviously they're not going to do what I'm saying they should do. But I do think it opens the door in the future because I don't see any of these guys as just like no-brainer type prospects. Well, other than, yes, in the backcourt. 
Um, yes, in the backcourt. That's what the I'm last about, yeah. thing I want to say about them because I think their future is super bright with Paolo and Franz Wagner. I mean, that is. We'll, we'll we'll be able to determine this after we've done all of the conferences, but that's perhaps the best set of building blocks that any team has, just in terms of the positional scarcity and just the quality of players. Um, to get those guys in back-to-back drafts is that that's what you're hoping to do when you go in the tank. Uh, my last thing I want to say about them before we move on to the Wizards is uh um is it too early to get to have Jalen Suggs like to to pivot off of the idea that he could be a franchise guard and transition because this would work for sure if you have Paolo at point center and transition him to like more of like a Gary Payton the second Bruce Brown you know type of big small player no it's not too early but they won't do it because um i can't imagine that they're willing to just like punt on the idea of him being what they thought he was when they drafted him um so i but i do think they'll they'll wise up over time so like maybe just naturally through his own development like he sees that as a good opportunity for him to like help the team out and get some buckets and stuff so maybe he just like forms around the role and then eventually they just give it to him whole whole hog um but no i can't imagine that they're not going to give him every opportunity this season to to pop yeah all right all right let's move on to the wizards uh last in the alphabetical order last in everybody's heart um Let's try to blow through these guys because it's a very uninspiring group. Um, I'll really quickly say what uh, we imagine their starting lineup to be. This is another team that is they they're actually their whole prospect pool, which there's a ton of them, is is a lot like Orlando's guard pool, which is I don't know how you differentiate them. They all offer very different things, but in terms of just what they've produced for winning. It's it's hard to really say like oh this guy's better than the next guy but what here's what we know for sure is that with health Monty Morris and Bradley Beal will be in the backcourt Kristaps Porzingis and probably Daniel Gafford will be in the front court and then that three spot is really wide open between uh, Rui Hachimura who's definitely more of a four Danny Avdia who's uh, definitely more of a four and definitely uh, more of a bench player. At this point, sure. Well, same with Rui Hachimura and Corey Kispert, probably. So Corey, and so that also represents. What their about last... Willie Barton? Yeah, and Will Barton for sure. But so you gotta hope. I mean, those three guys I said before, Will Barton, represent their last three first round picks, <laughs> and so you gotta fucking hope they're all worse than Will Barton. I can tell you with confidence. <laughs> Which sucks. It really sucks because I think, I to your point. One of those guys hopefully takes that role um, and really asserts themselves this season and is a you know part of the long term future. But right now, today, and the Wizards are traditionally they try to be a win now team, even though it doesn't really result in wins. Yeah, they're the probably, other side of the Miami coin. One hundred percent. They will probably start Will Barton. And I will say this: this is probably to use the Simmons analogy we've used for many years. This is probably the most talented roster. Um, 
that I've seen that I would refer to as like the poo poo platter of, of, of team building. Oh yeah. This is a poo poo platter for sure. But it is, I mean, the talent in the league is pretty deep. If, if you can say that about this particular roster, I mean, this has two Brad Beal. I mean, Brad Beal is also probably the worst player to have ever received the super max. Yes. (laughs) So it's like, they just kind of across the board. It's like, they have the, they have that, they have like the worst franchise player. They have like, Chris Epps Porzingis is kind of like the worst number two guy. And then as far as their like group of prospects, they kind of have like the worst group of prospects. Monte Morris might be one of the worst starting point guards, even though he's good. He's probably the like, worst starting point guard. I mean, we'd have to really break this down, but he's definitely among the worst. I guess we don't know who's going to start for the Lakers, but yeah. yeah. No, it's a tough team, man, but it's also it's a team full of older players, and so you just go, like, there's got to be some level of competency. I mean, we'll all remember that they started the season as the number one seed in the East and held on to that position for quite a while mm-hmm. when it was uh, Washington, Cleveland, and Chicago running the East for a while. Um, of course, fresh on our mind was just the absolute ass-whooping that they put on the Timberwolves last fall. I mean, just a, one of the worst losses that the Wolves had last season to the extent where we're just like, this this team is awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a career Gafford game. I've never seen Gafford look better than he did in that game. Yeah, and I will uh, say I love Daniel Gafford. I'm a big I do fan too. of Daniel Gafford. I do too. No question. And um, I'm a big fan of Danny Avdia. Me too. You know what, Dan? Fuck, man. We're going over their starting lineup, bro. Kyle Kuzma is going to start in the front court, obviously. Yeah, yeah it'll, be, it'll be Kuzma, Zinger. And then probably yeah, they got a lot of fuck, man. They have a lot of solid players. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, That's what I'm saying. It's, players. It's the most talented poo poo platter we've ever seen. Um, Damn. But so, I yeah, say- this is a team where you're like, it's very hard to predict the over under for them because your inclination is like, I don't care what the number is. I'm just gonna bet the under because it's an uninspiring group. Like, do I really like bet? Bets are to some degree it's a faith driven thing. Right. And it's like, yes, do you really want to be like hanging your hat on this uninspiring group exceeding their win total? But then you look at it and you're like, well, but also if this team is healthy and there's chemistry, chemistry is the real key here. If they're healthy and they have chemistry, they could beat any team in the league any given night. And so you're just like, what the fuck do you do with this group? Yeah, but I will say this if I'm a Wizards fan, and then we'll go to the over-under here. We yeah, let's, and then, Dan, let's just go in reverse order then. We'll go Wizards up for the win totals. Sounds good. What I was going to say is the starting lineup is potentially Monte Morris, Bradley Beal, Will Barton, Kyle Kuzma, and Zinger. Only one of those guys did G- are, is homegrown, Bradley Beal. And then the rest of the roster is filled up, filled with a ton True. of guys that they drafted. And if I'm a Wizards fan, going into this season, I'm like, one of these fucking guys has to pop. Like, or else we have not hit on a draft pick in five years. Dude, you know what I mean? It just would have been so much more inspiring and so much more fun, frankly, as a fan, for them to have just moved on from Bradley Beal. No question. And like, I know this is going to lead to us having a very high draft pick, which would be great. <laughs> but also, yeah. like, can we just see what we have with these young guys? Can I see what it looks like when, you know... Roy Hachimura gets all he can eat. I know what that's going to look like on the win-loss sheet, but, like, what does that look like exactly? So, anyway, Dan, their win total, Vegas win total is 35.5. So they are putting their money where we just put our mouths for the team. Where where would you have them ranking? And and where would that put, like, what range in the East would that put them in? 
Uh, I have him as a slight over with 38 wins. Um, I guess not slight. It's a two and a half win clearance, which is pretty heavy. But it's for everything you said, man. They have just a lot of competent NBA guys and they're healthy. So if that remains the case, like they're just going to sneak quite a few wins because it's hard to be really bad with how many like just steady NBA guys that they have on that roster. Yeah, um, and it's worth saying this. This is why there may be a good bet for over. I have them at 36, so barely over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not bet it, obviously. Me neither. No, but, it's a stay away. It's a stay um, away for sure. Here's why the under is less appealing is you you the option to even do a quick pivot to a rebuild is not there because Bradley Beal has a is the only player in the NBA to have a no trade clause. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you, <laughs> uh, you asked where I had him. That puts him at 9 or 10, depending. Yep, that puts him at 10 for me. Yeah. So All right, so the Orlando Magic, Dan, 25 and a half. What's I, your number for them? I went over because I want to. I gave him 26. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I, I had him literally clearing it by a half. But, um, but it's because, like, last year, again, they were 22-win team last year. If my memory serves right, I do believe they're better. The conference yeah, be, is better. You know, the conference is better, which is the fly in the ointment, but I am going to give them an over. Um, it, I don't know. I could go either way. Again, it's a stay away from me. I'm not betting the Magic. It's a stay away. I have them as a slight under, but that's because it's like someone's got to lose some games in this conference. And if they're really playing it the long view, they will experiment a lot with their lineups, which means there's not going to be a lot of continuity, which means they'll probably underperform what their talent level is. Sure. No, that makes sense. Uh, let's move to Miami. Uh, Forty-eight and a half is the number. They have the largest uh, projected over/under in the or the highest projected win total in this division. Um, I have a slight under at forty-eight, um, and it's no disrespect to Miami. What I think it is is they are getting just a little bit older, and at you know the age of their their veterans, it does matter. Like every season does eventually start costing you a little bit. So I feel like through rest potential injury they're just going to be missing some guys it's still 48 is still going to put them in the top six without having to go through the plan um but i think it'll be a little bit more difficult this season than it was last year and they were at 53 last year so that's fair i have them at 50 i could see them i think there's more chances for the over than the under so this is actually probably Mm -hmm. one that i would bet 48 and a half is just not it's just not a ton of wins for a team with their goals and so that would be it, that'd be an over for me. I'd, I'd probably bet that one. Okay, so you got him at 50. Uh, next up is Charlotte at 36 and a half. Uh, this was an under for me. Honestly, yep. now that I'm looking at it, I should probably even squeeze this for more just to give to some other teams. I had him yep. at 34, missing by two and a half wins. Really, it was out of just pure respect for LaMelo Ball. Like, I feel like he is he is that dude. Like, he's going to be a perennial all-star at some point in his career. And if I believe that, it can be kind of tough to get them under that win total. But at the same time, when I reviewed it, that Charlotte team is not good. They're going to no. the team is not good that I, I, they're, they're a hard bet for the under for me. I have them at 28, which is probably dramatic. I squeezed them for some wins to get wins elsewhere. But either way, if you want to look at it, I think one of the best ways to look at this is, are there more paths for them to be over? Are there more paths to be under? And clearly with them, there's way more paths for them to be under. Yep. Nope. I completely agree. Um, uh, Atlanta, the last team in the division, 46 and a half is the number. This one is one I would bet. Uh, I am a big over 
Uh, I have him at 50 wins. And I could have even gone a win or two higher, potentially. I think Atlanta, we talked about it at length. I think last year was worse than it should have been. I think they're flat better. I think they have guys that are still developing, growing, and getting better. And I think when you look up and down that roster, if you have Bogdanovich as your your sixth man. Yeah, we didn't even talk like, about their bench. Their bench is also very good. Yeah, there. I mean, it's just a lot. And I think Atlanta is is a pretty comfortable, you know, fifty win team. Yeah, we've we'll all have to add wins after this conversation. After we talked it through today, I had them at forty seven, which would have been just barely over, which would means is probably a stay away. But um, yeah, I think they're just way more. You know, frankly, I think they could even get to this number, get to the over here, even with a long term, longer term injury to one of their key players because of the depth there, like. If uh, uh, frankly, if either of Dejounte or Trey missed missed some t- like a good deal of time plugging in Bogdanovich in either one of those spots, you still have a very good backcourt. More than reasonable. Same, yep. Yep. And then the same thing with the front court. You know, if Collins or uh, Capella, Capella goes down yeah. and you have to plug in a Kongwu, not a bad option. So no. I think that's I think this is a team I'm gonna have to find some more wins for them, but that'd be a hard over. Yeah, um, so that's the Southeast Division. Uh, For anybody listening, uh, please do subscribe to the show. We are going to be coming back at kind of an odd schedule because these, and I mean, this wasn't a good example. We went an hour 15 on this one. But when we do these divisional break rounds, we'll probably try and come in and out um, and make them a little little shorter. Um, And we might do those on some weekdays, but we're not going to put the schedule on in advance. We'll try that very day that we're going to record to put it out. So if you subscribe, you'll get a a notification of what time we're going to go live. Um, but we will continue these over the next couple of weeks until we get through all six divisions. And, uh, and then we will be very close to the start of the season by that point. So we'll have some preseason games to talk about. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, Dan. No problem. Take care.